0: The KSTE Farm Hour is sponsored in part by Allion Herbicide from Bayer. Residual control that goes the distance. Cleaner, longer, Allion.
1: Welcome to the KSTE Farm Hour. Here's KSTE's farmer Fred, Fred Hoffman. Counties including Sacramento County, cities such as Folsom and Elk Grove, Indian tribes, fishing organizations, they're just a few of the 58 groups that have filed suit against the state of California. Why? To stop the Delta Tunnels project. History, though, is not on their side. We have the details. The state's Department of Pesticide Regulation is set to institute further restrictions on the use of a widely used farm pesticide, chlorpyrifos. There's a huge Japanese beetle infestation up in Oregon. Should California's farmers and nursery industries be concerned? Uh, yeah. And we talk about what bear Crop Science is doing to help California's ag industry farm more sustainably. All that, crop reports, and a lot more on this week's KSTE Farm Hour. Let's get started. What do the following have in common? Sacramento County, San Joaquin County, Solano and Yolo County, an American Indian tribe dependent on salmon fishing, crab boat owners, several Sacramento Valley water agencies, the cities of Folsom and Roseville. What do they have all in common? They're suing to stop the Delta Tunnels. They have one of the most powerful legal weapons found in any courtroom, the California Environmental Quality Act. At least 58 groups opposing the tunnel have sued the state as the legal deadline approached. The groups are arguing that the $17 billion tunnel project would take valuable Delta land out of production as well as creating other problems in the South Sacramento County area. All of the cases say the tunnels project represents a violation of the state's strict environmental law. But as the Sacramento Bee reports, don't count on those lawsuits to stop the Delta Tunnels project. More typically, the courts will require developers to redo some of their environmental impact reports, which is a process that could lead to delays, maybe some modifications, but not outright cancellation of the project. But even if the litigation can't halt the tunnels, there is another big obstacle to the Delta Tunnels project. Who's going to pay for it? The south of Delta water agencies that will have to pay for the project are expected to vote next month on whether to commit. And at least one major water agency, the Westlands Water District, which serves farmers in Fresno and Kings Counties, has indicated the project might be too expensive. One round in the books and more scheduled in the coming months for renegotiations of the
2: North American Free Trade Agreement among member nations, Canada, Mexico, and the United States.
1: I know we all agree that NAFTA needs Updating. It's a 23-year-old agreement, and our economies are very different than they were in the 1990s.
2: U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer at the opening press conference for the initial round of negotiations held in Washington, D.C. earlier this month. And while talk centered on what could be modified and improved within NAFTA, one area that Ambassador Lighthizer acknowledged has been a success in general with this trade agreement has been agriculture. For
3: many of
1: our farmers and ranchers, Canada and Mexico, are their largest export markets.
4: Americans send billions of dollars of corn and soybeans and poultry across our borders to dinner tables throughout North America.
2: Yet the US trade representative and others in the ag sector are aware that renegotiation offers opportunity to address shortcomings within the original NAFTA. For instance,
3: we all want timely enforcement of trade agreements and prompt resolutions to
1: disputes that might arise in this new modernization treaty. That's American Farm
2: Bureau Federation President Zippy Duval. joined on opening day of the first round of NAFTA talks by counterparts from leading ag organizations from Canada and Mexico. The three farm leaders gathered to send a letter to negotiators from their respective nations, with the emphasis on doing no harm to agriculture while expanding potential market opportunities among NAFTA countries. For agriculture, NAFTA has been good. If we look at the changes since 1994, trade between our three countries has grown exponentially. We must build on this success. Ron Bonnet of the Canadian Federation of Agriculture says common ground established between his group, Farm Bureau, and Mexico's National Council of Agriculture will aid in moving a modernized NAFTA and ag trade in the context of an updated deal forward. And that, as CNA's Bosco de la Vega via translator pointed out, could open or expand additional markets beyond the North American continent.
5: We can go out to conquest new markets in Asia, South America, and Europe.
2: A broadband reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: Farmers use the pesticide chlorpyrifos here in California to kill pests that attack a wide variety of crops, such as grapes, almonds, and cotton. Now, state officials are taking steps to put it on a list of chemicals known to be harmful to humans and to also increase the distance from schools and homes in which farmers can apply it. The move runs contrary to a decision by Scott Pruitt, the administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, to end his agency's efforts to ban the pesticide sold by Dow Chemical after federal scientists concluded it could interfere with the brain development of fetuses and infants. The Associated Press reports that California officials say that researchers are learning more about how the pesticide harms the developing brains of unborn babies and young children. Farmers in California apply it to 60 different crops, and it's used most heavily in San Joaquin Valley farming communities. California already prohibits farmers from applying the pesticide within 100 feet of a school or home, but officials say that could be increased to 450 feet. Dan Putnam is a University of California Cooperative Extension agronomist and 4-H specialist, and he explains the value of this particular insecticide.
6: Chlorpyrifos is also very particularly important for um Alfalfa weevil, and for um, summer worm and aphid control, it, it's a broad spectrum insecticide that um, is very effective and, and one that uh, growers depend upon. And um, one of the things that we look at this, particularly from an, uh, an IPM point of view, um, that is we don't want to see growers using insecticides over and over again, particularly of one class. And, and so the, the key issue there is to have a diversity of tools so that they don't uh, overuse one particular tool. So when you remove uh, this pesticide from the mix, that makes growers dependent upon other pesticides and reduces the uh, uh, options for controlling... Pest resistance to, to pesticides, which is, which is a big issue with, with, uh, several of our insect pests. Particularly, uh, we've been seeing problems with weevils and alfalfa weevils with resistance to pyrethroids. Each one of these insecticides has its own issues. So we, we want to make sure that growers, uh, use cultural practices, but also don't become dependent upon one, um, one compound or another.
1: A draft of the new rules was released recently, and after a public comment period, officials could begin to enforce them in September, with more regulations expected in late 2018. Methods of applying the pesticide from helicopters and airplanes may also be restricted.
7: Unlike the fairly soft price prospects for corn and soybeans and such, there is rice this is one of the areas where we see a little bit of support. Agriculture Department Outlook Board Chairman Seth Meyer in USDA's latest crop production report for rice compared to the July report. We got a trim in yields and that took production a down from our prior estimate about 4.8 million hundredweight. So rice production is expected to be only 186.5 million hundredweight. That's almost 38 million less than this past season's crop. So that's adding price support. And we also have seen some countries, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, come into the global market, and that supported Asian rice prices. So there's been a bit of support for rice overall. And so rice growers could see some better prices for this new crop. The all-rice average price expected to be about $1,270. A hundredweight, that's 40 cents more than was expected last month, $2.40 higher than this past season. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington.
1: Here's this week's California crop report. Alfalfa continues to be cut and baled. Safflower was drying in the field. Sorghum for silage is being cultivated and irrigated. Cotton is blooming and forming bowls and continues to be irrigated. Corn for silage was harvested. Black-eyed beans were maturing and nearing harvest. Rice was heading ahead of schedule. Peach, nectarine, Asian pears, and plum harvest is ongoing. Harvested stone fruit orchards were pruned and topped. The fig harvest has begun. Table grape and finger lime harvest is ongoing. Wine grape harvest is underway. Olives are developing well. Valencia oranges were harvested. However, regreening continues to be a problem. Almond harvest is underway in some groves as hull split progressed. Almond orchard ground prep continues for later varieties. Walnut and pistachio orchards continue to be irrigated. Both mechanical and chemical weed controls continue in orchards. Processing tomato harvest is progressing well. Legumes and fall squash were flowering. Brussels sprouts in the vegetative state were growing rapidly. Fresh tomatoes, onions, carrots, broccoli, cucumbers, summer squashes, eggplant, and peppers are being harvested. The sweet corn harvest continues. Monterey County strawberry production was impacted slightly by pest pressure due to the fog. Melons were harvested and some later harvest fields irrigated. Fall groundwork, including disking, chiseling, and land planing, was underway in some fields. New drip tape was installed in new and existing beds. Non-irrigated pasture and rangeland quality continues to deteriorate. As the nutritional quality of range grasses diminishes, supplemental feeding has increased. Some livestock were evacuated due to grass and forest fires. Sheep grazed in retired pasture and in dormant alfalfa fields. Bees are working the melon fields. There's a big agricultural problem brewing up in Oregon. Traps set in conjunction with the Oregon Department of Agriculture eradication campaign in the Portland area caught a stunning 12,000 Japanese beetles. That's an invasive pest that can cause major damage to not only gardens, but also to nursery, vegetable, vineyard, and orchard crops. Even more surprising, last year, only 372 Japanese beetles were caught in those traps. The eradication effort in the northwest Portland area is ongoing. As a result of that, the Washington State Department of Agriculture will put out more traps in southwest Washington this summer, right across the Columbia River. Washington has never had to conduct an eradication campaign for Japanese beetles. The Japanese beetle is potentially destructive to roses, grapes, orchard fruits, caneberries, corn, hops, outdoor cannabis, and urban forest trees. Beetles in nursery stock could also impact exports from the state. The beetles detected in northwest Portland were likely from infested plants that originated from the eastern United States and were imported to Oregon in the last few years. California nurseries that import plant product from Oregon are on guard. When the U.S. reports an outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza. Some countries
7: just
3: automatically impose countrywide restrictions.
7: Restrictions on all U.S. poultry imports. Dr. Jack shear is chief veterinarian with the U.S. Department of Agriculture last spring when avian influenza was discovered in Tennessee. One of the countries that did impose a total ban on all U.S. poultry was South Korea. And now, days after the U.S. announced it was totally and officially free of the virus, South Korea has announced it's lifting its ban. Dr. Shear told us that the U.S. has gotten many countries to agree to only ban poultry imports from areas of the U.S. where the outbreaks occur. And for South Korea... We
3: We'll continue to negotiate with them to regionalized every time we have one of these virus outbreaks.
7: South Korea had a bad one last fall. They had to destroy over 30 million chickens. Most were egg-laying hens, causing an egg shortage there. And so, also, South Korea has said it will temporarily allow U.S. egg and egg products into the country duty-free to try to alleviate that egg shortage. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington.
1: You've heard the expression, politics make strange bedfellows. Well, here's a few people in a king-size bed you wouldn't usually see together. Agriculture and dairy lobbies with a long list of environmental, social justice, and civic groups, a rather unusual grouping. They're in bed together for Senate Bill 623 by Senator Bill Monning of Monterey, which would generate $2 billion over 15 years for what's called the Safe and Affordable Drinking Water Fund, which would provide emergency water and longer-term system fixes for hundreds of communities whose tap water in California doesn't meet safe drinking water standards. And where would that money come from, you ask? Well, how about a tax? According to a report in the East Bay Times, $110 million of it would come through a 95-cent monthly fee on home water bills, as well as taxes on businesses of up to $10 a month. Another $30 million would come from higher fees on ag and dairy businesses, industries whose chemicals contribute to the problem of contaminated groundwater. So who's against it? Well, water districts are against the bill, saying that taxing water users creates a bad precedent and that collecting the money would be burdensome. California State Senate Bill 623 would generate $2 billion over the next 15 years to clean up contaminated groundwater, as well as improve faulty water systems and wells. The problem is most pervasive in rural areas of California that have agricultural runoff.
2: When it comes to barley as a main ingredient in
4: beer. One of the sayings of the American Malting Barley Association is no barley, no beer.
2: And USDA researcher Dave Marshall in North Carolina explains why.
4: Barley provides the base ingredient of what you need, that is the starch, which is then converted into alcohol and sugars.
2: Now, barley grown as malt for brewing varies by region and by season. For example, winter barley is grown in parts of the southeast and Pacific Northwest, while spring barley is more common in the nation's midsection. However, for the growing craft beer industry along the eastern seaboard, there is the need to have distinctive and local barley varieties.
4: The thing is, in order for them to say that they have a completely local product, which is what a lot of people are looking for these days, they have to have malt, which is basically just germinated barley, but it's germinated under controlled conditions and then dried at different times in order to add some different flavors to the barley.
2: That is where Dave Marshall and fellow USDA researchers are working with scientists at East Coast Land Grant universities and the craft beer and malting industries in the region to conduct genetic research on malting barleys with the goal of developing a gene pool that could be used nationwide for particular barley varieties.
4: Our main trait that we're looking for in malting barley is having those malt characteristics, again, the correct enzymes in the correct concentrations in order to make malt once the barley is germinated. But in addition to that, it has to be acceptable, if not outstanding, as far as farmers are concerned.
2: Which means from the grower perspective, barley with genetic traits such as improved yield and disease resistance.
4: And on the East Coast that's particularly important because the disease profiles of what we have on barley in the eastern U.S. is very different from barleys in the Midwest and very different from the Pacific Northwest barley.
2: Additional traits Marshall and fellow researchers are looking for in new barley varieties include the height of the plant and rapid maturity, especially for spring-planted barley for harvest before summer heat impacts the crop. He adds that another aspect of this research is terroir the flavor profile of barleys or any crop that is developed by factors such as soils, climate, and genetics that gives, in this case, a craft beer a distinct, almost regional taste.
4: That's what we're taking a look at with beer to see if there's any type of specific genetic markers, specific traits that would allow us to kind of separate different areas in terms of this environment providing specific flavor profiles based on the environment alone.
2: I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture
1: at Washington, D.C. Water officials across California are increasingly exploring a hidden but promising way to add to the state's water supply, removing salt from the billions of gallons of brackish or salty water that lies deep below the Earth's surface. A new report by the Pacific Institute explores the cost of potential water sources in California and its spurring hopes that the desalination of brackish water could quickly become a vital tap in the state. Perhaps the greatest appeal of brackish water desalination is that the salt concentration ranges from 1,000 to 10,000 milligrams per liter, making brackish water about three and a half times less salty than seawater and roughly twice as cheap to desalt. The Pacific Institute report estimates that brackish water desalination costs $950 to $1,300 per acre foot. Compare that with $2,100 to $2,500 per acre foot for seawater desalination. Three new plants are under construction in California and water agencies are planning at least 17 more. There will be one in Monterey County. All of the other projects are located in Southern California.
8: Farmers and ranchers have until September 27th to submit comments in support of EPA ditching the 2015 WOTUS Rule. The rule, which was halted by the courts, had more to do with controlling land than protecting water and only created confusion for farmers, according to AFBF Senior Director
3: of Regulatory Relations, Don Parrish. Those laws and those regulations were so broad, in fact, that it allowed the agency to blur the distinction between regulating water and land use or in other words, allowed the agency to regulate land use by just claiming the land was water. So it was really problematic for farmers and ranchers.
8: Parrish says farmers and ranchers have been calling on EPA to ditch the flawed WOTUS rule since it was proposed and that their input is just as important today as environmental groups launch their own campaigns to protect this federal land grab.
3: It is equally important to have our voices heard. This rule had a detrimental impact on the farmer's ability to utilize this land and we think it is critical that farmers submit comments in support of withdrawing this rule.
8: Parrish says it's easy for farmers and ranchers to submit their comments to the EPA directly or through AFBF's website fb.org.
3: We'd really like you to go out to the American Farm Bureau's website. We have an opportunity for you to submit comments through our website, or you can go to the EPA's website. They're soliciting comments. It doesn't have to be very detailed comments, but just add your name to a list of growing farmers and ranchers that understand that this rule was a significant overreach, did not comply with the statutory requirements that Congress put into place, and support the administration's effort to withdraw this rule.
8: Farmers and ranchers can submit their comments through the advocacy section of AFBF's website, fb.org, before EPA's comment period closes on September 27th. Chad Smith, Washington.
1: The wine grape harvest in the Lodi area has begun, and farmers there say crop size appears to be from average to a little bit larger, and that may not be such bad news. Mark Chandler, a winery consultant, told the Western Farm Press that an average size crop would be a mixed blessing. Growers might not make as much money as they could with a larger crop. On the other hand, more moderate production should help balance supply with demand, which would be good for the marketplace. Spread over more than a half million acres at the northern end of the San Joaquin Valley between the San Francisco Bay and the Sierra Nevada, the Lodi Viticulture District includes seven sub-appellations totaling about 100,000 acres of vineyards. Growers there say the Cabernet Sauvignon, with its very evenly-sized berries, should be quite good. That variety, along with Chardonnay and Zinfandel, accounts for the majority of Lodi's wine grape production. Each represents about 15-20% to 20% of the Appalachian's vineyard acreage. And there's more good news. The demand for Lodi's wine grapes is strong. The Chardonnay market, which had been showing some weakness in price the last few years, is coming into balance as growers replace some of that acreage with other varieties. And look who's back on the popularity list. Good old Zinfandel. Demand for increasingly popular red wine blends has propped up the market for the Lodi Zin. But the Zin is getting a run for its money to help satisfy the strengthening demand for the red blends. Lodi growers have been replacing some of their Zinfandel and Merlot plantings with Petite Syrah, Syrah, and other red blends. Improved conditions from favorable weather have led to an expected increase in California's production of table olives. Government estimators say they expect the crop to increase 9% compared to last year. Table olives are those sold for eating out of hand rather than being made into oil. Most California-grown olives come from production areas in the San Joaquin and Sacramento Valleys. The latest USDA survey on use of computers on U.S. farms reveals... Farms with computer access is at
2: 73%. Unchanged from two years ago, the last time the survey was taken, according to Dan Carestes of the National Agricultural Statistics Service.
3: Of those farms... of the farmers either lease or own their own computer, and 47% of those farmers are using their computer for farm business. So that is an increase of 4% over two years ago.
2: Farms with Internet access rose 1% from 2015, now at 71%. Carestis says new methods of service for the survey were included in the 2017 questionnaire, including fiber optic used by 8% of farms and mobile Internet service used by 17%. More traditional Internet access methods for farmers
3: DSL by far still remains the most common way to access the internet at 29 percent.
2: Although that number is down from 30 percent in 2015. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: Before walnuts reach market, they're dried in processing plants scattered throughout California. Researchers for the U.S. Department of Agriculture say they found a way to dry walnuts more quickly and efficiently. The new process uses infrared light rather than hot air. USDA researchers say the technique could reduce energy costs for drying walnuts by up to 25 percent, as well as shortening the drying time by 35 percent.
0: The USDA secretary wants to highlight something that happens only once every five years.
4: Hi, I'm Sonny Perdue. As a former farmer and ag businessman, I know the value of the Census of Agriculture. It helps us to tell the story of U.S. agriculture and to make the right policies to help rural America succeed. The Census of Agriculture is the
7: only source of comprehensive data down to the county level that shows the change in structure of
0: U.S. agriculture. Joe Parsons with the National Agricultural Statistics Service says one innovation will be helpful to people who want to fill out and submit their questionnaire online.
7: After they answer a few screening questions, they'll only get the questions after that that would relate to them. So if they only have corn and soybeans, they won't be asked about cattle or sheep or
0: goats. A demo of the new questionnaire is available to try on the website. Website agcensus one word, This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: The almond harvest has shifted into high gear here in the Central Valley. Crop forecasters expect farmers to harvest more than 2 billion pounds of almonds during the next few weeks. Some farmers say their harvests have been running a week to 10 days behind schedule, likely related to weather earlier this year. Farmers use machines to shake the almonds off the trees, then they sweep them up before the nuts are hulled and shelled.
2: Stakeholders in Florida's citrus industry perhaps feel their efforts to battle the devastating citrus greening disease is best described by Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue. You all have been in war for over 10 years. The secretary paid a recent visit to the Sunshine State to meet with citrus growers, industry members, and researchers, and learn more about control and research efforts against Huanglongbing, the bacteria that first attacks citrus fruit before eventually killing the tree itself. Over the last decade, citrus greening has been responsible for a 70% reduction in Florida's citrus harvest. Secretary Perdue acknowledged the importance of research partnership efforts in the fight against this
7: disease. The combination of these researchers, both land grant, NIFA, ARS and others in a combination with a dedicated grower, packer, handling, rootstock community, we're going to whip this thing.
2: The Secretary's optimism mirrors what he sees as a similar, positive approach by partners in the fight against Wang Longbing, especially in the research realm. He mentioned some of the studies currently underway, ranging from short-term solutions such as reducing transmission of the bacteria and creating pathways for treatments in citrus trees.
7: Where they therapeutic, small molecules with uh, antimicrobials.
2: To potential long-term answers, including bactericides, specifically designed to address citrus greeting, to use of genetics to create HLB-resistant rootstock, which the secretary believes can be developed in a matter of years not decades.
7: With the bioengineering and genetic engineering that we have today and the speed with which that can be done, I think we can get that rootstock done quicker than that.
2: In regards to ongoing research of citrus greening and its prevention, Secretary Purdue asked Florida citrus stakeholders
7: how the USDA can facilitate, expedite the solutions that need to happen both short-term and long-term in that way.
2: Knowing research results that can control citrus greening will benefit both Florida and U.S. citrus growers and processors threatened by this disease. i Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: The cost of eating out has been rising faster than the cost of eating at home, that according to a federal study. The USDA says the average cost for eating at home actually dropped slightly last year due to lower crop prices and lower energy costs. But the average cost of eating away from home continues to go up, mainly due to increased wages and benefits earned by food service employees. The Agriculture Department is seeking to update its biotechnology regulation
8: for crops. USDA has proposed updates to regulations that outline how biotech crops are approved and utilized in agriculture. American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director Andrew Walmsley says it's a chance to modernize the regulations.
5: It's looking at how do we assess the plant pest risk of biotech crops going forward and looking at how they should be regulated and making sure there's consumer confidence. And so this is an opportunity for farmers and ranchers in the broader ag community to provide input to USDA on the regulations. More
8: than 100 agriculture groups across the nation penned a letter to USDA providing input on the proposed changes. Walmsley says that if done correctly the regulations will foster agriculture innovation.
5: Biggest concern for farmers and ranchers is that we obviously want to have confidence in our regulatory system that's based on science but also fosters an environment of innovation and if USDA doesn't get this right the impact would be huge both for competitiveness for U.S. farmers and global markets while also maybe not unleashing the amount of innovation that we need, particularly for our smaller seed companies and land-grant universities.
8: He says AFBF is working to make sure the new regulation works for farmers and ranchers.
5: Obviously, with a fun issue like biotechnology, there's opinions on all sides, but we look forward to working here in Washington with USDA to help them go through those comments and raise additional concerns that we might have before they go any further with a final rule. Michael Clements, Washington. And now,
7: here's an old-time song hit, I mean, song miss, about our spotlighted food for today.
9: Blackberry boogie. Blackberry boogie. I brought back a flip when it's blackberry picking time. I gotta learn more of the words to that song. Uh,
7: That's all right, don't bother. Okay. Uh, the augmented vocals there from Laura Popilski. I'm with her once again in the vegetation tent of the Agriculture Department's Farmer's Market in Washington where farmers are selling blackberries. Laura is talking about them. So, Laura, um, what's the uh, botanical name for the blackberry? You don't know, so uh, what
9: should I do? Go and connect with a batologist. Oh,
7: a batologist. Isn't that someone who
9: studies Batman? Batology is the study of blackberries.
7: You mean there are people who just study blackberries?
9: There are. And they're doing hard work.
7: On their blackberries, no doubt. Turns out uh, blackberries and others in that family are called brambles. Pathologists study brambles, but uh, most of us shoppers want to avoid the brambles just by the berries at the store or from the farmer's market. And uh, how do we choose the best ones?
9: Hopefully you're finding ones that are nice and shiny and plump looking. Mm. If you get any that look kind of mushy or not that nice, deep, rich color, you don't want those. Uh,
7: so if you do uh, choose a good batch, you store them in the fridge, right?
9: And they will last in your fridge for about two or three days. So you'll want to eat them up real soon.
7: Or freeze them, they'll uh, keep for about eight months. The story of blackberries' rapid rise in this country is remarkable. Twenty years ago, commercial shipments of blackberries were just a few thousand pounds. Today, they're up to over 180 million pounds. One reason may be some research showing blackberries have large amounts of antioxidants. And
9: studies are finding that there may be a link between antioxidants and fighting cancer.
7: Uh, plus, blackberries have vitamin C and potassium. But, Laura, uh, why do you eat them?
9: Because they have such a lovely flavor.
7: Now we get to the truth. You're out here showing some ways to take advantage of that flavor.
9: What we're doing here today at the market is making a blackberry compote. Mm-hmm. So we're blending up the berries, and then we're going to add a little bit of honey, a little bit of lemon juice, oh, wow. and we're going to drizzle this sauce on some shortbread cookies.
7: Uh, oh, that's nice. Or you can drizzle. It on things like a grilled pork, chicken, or, or lamb. Oh, speaking of drizzling, starting to rain here. So, Laura, uh, you said you had a joke for us. You better go ahead with it.
9: What do you get when you eat a blackberry? A Bluetooth.
7: Ooh, a little technology joke. <laughs> They're very little ones. What about this one? I don't know. I haven't heard it yet.
9: Why were all the little blackberries crying? Oh, because their parents were in a jam. That's pretty bad. It is pretty bad.
7: Oh, rain's getting bad here, too. I'm glad we're in a tent here. For some great blackberry recipes, go online to What's Cooking USDA. What's Cooking USDA and search blackberry.
6: Blackberry boogie.
1: I'll be back, a little gal when it's blackberry
7: picking time. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington.
1: Each year, growers are being asked to provide more sustainability information to all their stakeholders. That includes the processors, the wholesalers, the retailers, the consumers. And something like 81% of farmers and ranchers agree that customers of U.S. grown crops and livestock are growing more concerned and focused on the environmental sustainability of the products they buy. Now, what do we mean by environmental sustainability? Bear Crop Science has introduced a new program called the Grow On Initiative. What's that all about? Let's talk to the Bear Food Chain and Sustainability Manager, Jenny Maloney, and find out about this new program. And, Jenny, what is uh, Grow On all about?
0: Well, Grow On is an initiative that stemmed from exactly what you were talking about consumer interest around three general areas of sustainability, so trying to learn more about what growers do on their farms to enhance environmental, social, and other types of um, uh, economic sustainability. What we did was we took a deep dive into some of the crops that we participate in in the fruit and vegetable sector. We spent time talking to growers, we spent time talking to our field team to really bring to light some of the great things that are happening on farm related to environmental and social sustainability. And when we talk about economic sustainability, that's really what farmers do in order to sustain the livelihood of their farm moving forward. And while that's probably the most important thing from a a grower perspective, and uh, we, we did find that consumers tend to be most interested in environmental and social sustainability components of what happens on the farm.
1: Well, let's talk about those components. What are the focus areas of Grow On in that regard?
0: So we found that there's really about six areas of focus. How water is used on the farm. What happens on the farm to um, sustain or improve biodiversity? How uh, greenhouse gases are managed on the farm? um, What's being done to uh, sustain or improve soil health labor on the farm? So what can, what can be done when you use ag inputs like crop protection products to ensure safety of people who work on the farm? And then lastly, what can be done from a food waste perspective, because that tends to be a topic that's coming up um, from food retailers, processors and grocers in terms of how do we reduce food waste in, in our system?
1: One of the first things you mentioned there was water usage, optimizing plant water usage, very important here in California, especially after five years of a drought. And who knows, the next drought maybe has started already. We don't know. So what is Bear doing in that regard?
0: Well, that's a great question. And certainly um, the top of everyone's mind in California. And while we have had moisture this year, um, like you say, you never know when the next drought is. And There's also some uh, structural issues to consider in California um, in terms of trying to move water around. So use of water, uh, both in terms of the quantity of water and the quality of water always tends to be the number one or number two issue when we talk to growers about how can we help them meet their needs. So from a bear perspective, uh, we have products, if, if we're looking at almonds or grapes, um, we have certain products that can be used through a drip irrigation system. Um, it's a process called chemigation. If you use fertilizers, it's called fertigation. But you put the product um, at the uh, back end of the filtration system. Um, you put the product, you inject it into the system. And that way, the product is able to move through the drip irrigation system, whether it's a surface or subsurface system, and be applied right at the root zones. And so for like almonds, we have products like Movento, and uh, which is an insecticide targeting insects, and vellum, which is an um, which can help benefit the tree's root system and help them be better, develop better root systems so they can do a better job of pulling water up through their roots having healthier root systems and being more efficient and um, hopefully um, increasing the yield at the end of the day.
1: And also, a lot of people forget about the damage that nematodes can do to root systems, which can compromise a root system and thus make it more difficult for efficient water uptake. And Bayer Crop Science, of course, has a whole host of products that help control nematodes.
0: Absolutely. And our, our newer product, um, vellum, is is one of those where we see significant improvements in the root system. And it's something that's hard to see. It's below the surface, but certainly very, very important to the health of the plant. And particularly when you have the type, you know, if we're talking about nuts, uh, almonds, walnuts, pistachios, or grapes, these permanent crops, Which, um, you know, will last for, um, many, many years. Developing a strong, um, robust root system is really critical, um, and protecting them from different, um, insects and pests like
1: nematodes is, is very, very critical. With permanent crops, such as tree nut crops, which need water year round, they're getting competition for that water from weeds that pop up and eliminating tough weeds that directly compete with a crop has been a bear crop science initiative for years and years to help farmers use that precious water resource more effectively and talk a little bit about the Grow On program and uh, what bear has available to help eliminate tough weeds.
0: Yes yeah, so we have two major products um that help with uh eliminating weeds both Allion and Rely herbicides because we find that those weeds directly compete with the plant whatever we're talking about whether it's a uh, um nuts um grapes potatoes uh we find that those weeds compete with the plant both for water and for nutrients so by eliminating those weeds we're able to uh make sure that the plant doesn't have that competition and again has more efficient use of water and the other nutrients that are either applied or in the
1: soil. And what role does a fungicide like Serenade play in more effective water consumption?
0: Well, Serenade is one of our other products that we have in our portfolio that actually helps in uh, many of the different areas that I mentioned before. In one of the particular areas, um, it helps the, particularly with water uptake, it helps the roots to mass and depth that they need to improve water uptake and better deal with drought stress. In some other areas um, it's used as uh, more of a traditional fungicide uh, applied on the leaves of the plants to help um, reduce the presence of fungicide that can um, sometimes decay the leaves and then decay the plant leading to either in harvest or pre-harvest losses or post-harvest losses in the field. And Serenade is one of our other products that when we talk about reducing food waste, it has a component as well because it allows uh, protection, again, for in-season and post-harvest diseases. So you usually have higher quality, less blemished fruit that's less susceptible to storage pathogens.
1: Now, everybody wants their farm laborers and their neighbors to be safe. How does BEAR's Grow On program help ensure a safe work environment?
0: Well, there are a couple of different areas where our products help. Many times, consumers want to know how the people who are harvesting their crops, um, how they're how they're being treated, um, what what it's like out in the field for them, uh, particularly when they're using ag inputs. And so, we have various products like our on herbicide, our Serenade fungicide, Movento insecticides that um, do a couple of things. One, they they work efficiently, allowing shorter re-entry intervals. And then also we have products that have um, a reduced risk from the Environmental Protection Agency. So that's a designation that the EPA gives. And what it indicates is that it's got really the the least amount of risk to human health and the environment than the existing conventional alternatives. So with some of our newer products that are coming out, um, we do have this type of designation. We also have things like um, new flow systems like our easy flow closed filling and cleaning system um, that we've developed along with another company to help reduce worker exposure to crop protection products. So that's one thing that we always look at and growers always look at is any way to, um, to reduce risks um, as products are being applied.
1: A big concern in California, honeybees. Is the population going up or down? It depends who you talk to. But what is Bear Crop Science doing to help maintain and perhaps even increase the population of honeybees on our farm fields here in California?
0: We've got a couple of products that growers use um, that are able to allow more flexibility for at-bloom and pre-harvest applications. So we have our serenade fungicide and our savanto insecticide, um, and that allows for um, flexible timing for application. Um, and it allows for season-long pest control and disease control with very, very minimal impact on beneficials and pollinators. Um, as, as much as the growers, um, I think, could would like to predict what kind of pests they're going to get on their field, um, you never know based upon the weather conditions, rain conditions. And so some of these products give growers um, the maximum flexibility to, uh, to ensure they can deal with the pests at the same time having as uh, much minimal impact on beneficials and pollinators as possible.
1: And if farmers or others want more information about the Grow On Sustainability Initiative from Bear, is there a good website for them to visit?
0: Yeah, the best website for them to visit is growon.bear.us, And there you can find information um, about six key crops that we focus on. Um, also you can look at different areas like biodiversity, water, soil health, greenhouse gas emissions, labor and waste. And you can find uh, more information there to learn about how Bear is working with growers to help sustain and increase their, um, their environmental and social sustainability on farm
1: that website again growon.bear.us for more information bear by the way is if you don't know is spelled b-a-y-e-r we've been talking with jenny maloney she is the food chain and sustainability manager for bear crop science jenny thanks for a few minutes of your time today
0: thanks for having me thanks for listening to the kste farm hour heard every sunday from noon until 1 p.m pacific time and available anytime as a podcast download it at KSTE.com.